Let's take our inspired and preserved scriptures and turn to the 8th chapter of Romans. And because we've already spent some good time in God's Word, we'll take a few minutes here with the 29th verse of Romans chapter 8. What a God-exalting doctrine we have before us. Psalm 33 was God-exalting. Colossians chapter 1 was Christ-exalting, that He in all things might have the preeminence. But when we come to Romans chapter 8, as the apostle brings his theological discussion of the wrath of God that he started with in verse 18 of chapter 1, to a close at the end of this chapter with the absolute certainty that we shall never be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He lays before us the golden chain of salvation, of which we will look at the first one or two links today. When a doctrine is God-exalting, and all true doctrine is God-exalting, it's man-humbling, and it puts us in the dust. We don't deserve better treatment than an earthquake and a tsunami. We deserve worse treatment. We should all be in a fiery hell, the lake of fire, in torment, like the rich man is described in Luke 16. That's where we all belong. It's all of grace for the glory of God. And I hope that I can show you that. Are we predestinarian or Baptist? Most people think you have to make a choice. If you want to believe in election and predestination, you need to go to a Presbyterian church. But we're both. And you know, most of the Baptists that came to this country in the early days were very much like us theologically. They were exactly like us in practice. There was no musical instrument in any Baptist church in this country till about 1850. That's about 250 years before they got started. You know, our first Baptists in South Carolina that came to Charleston from Maine, where they were persecuted for preaching against infant baptism. What a politically incorrect thing to do. If the state church in Maine, Kittery, Maine, was congregationalism, then you shouldn't preach against infant baptism. But William Screven didn't know better. Or did he know better? And was following the Word of God. And so he was taken and fined and imprisoned. Taken and fined and imprisoned. And told that he and his congregation would be thrown out of that state if they preached against infant baptism anymore. So he left with his 28 church members. They came all the way to Charlestown the first Baptist church in the South, and we're talking about 1690. These states were not united as a nation until nearly a hundred years later. First Baptist church of Charleston. You need to go in there in their foyer. Some of their members won't even know that it's there, but you need to see some of the plaques there about William Screven arriving. He believed exactly what we believe right here. If you don't know what he believed, then look up the London Confession of Faith of 1689 and read chapter 3 called The Decrees of God that cover his election and predestination. They were called Calvinistic Baptists. They, They were actually called particular Baptists in those days because they believed that Jesus Christ died a particular death for his elect only. The other Baptists were called General Baptists, meaning Jesus died a general death for all men and didn't actually save anyone. That's the, that's the name that came from England, particular Baptists and General Baptists. 
Today there are some Reformed Baptists, and that tells you right off the bat that they're following the Reformers. And so they're going to be Calvinistic. We're not Calvinists. We don't care about John Calvin. He burned a man that was very close to us, a man that preached against infant baptism and said that Jesus Christ is the Son of God by his incarnation in the virgin's womb. His name was Michael Servetus, and John Calvin gave his word, and he was burned in the city of Geneva. Calvinists don't like us, because on the I and the P of their tulip, we disagree. Irresistible grace applies to regeneration, but it doesn't apply to conversion. We're not fatalists. P doesn't apply to perseverance of the saints. We don't believe that God's saints all persevere by the power of God. We believe that they're preserved by the power of God, because that's how the Bible describes it. So we're not really Calvinists. Sometimes to help people out, if they want a one-sentence answer, what do you believe? Well, we're Calvinists. You know, I usually tell people we're hyper-Calvinists. Let's just cut to the chase and get right down to, we don't believe in infant baptism, state churches, eternal sonship, or some of the other things that John Calvin did. Brethren, I want to tell you this. This text tells us something that is incredible. This text and other texts with it. The great drama of creation and salvation is for the glory of God and the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ, before the angelic realm. The reason you exist has never been about you. It never will be about you. The reason you exist is for the glory and pleasure of God. And it will always be about the glory and pleasure of God. God created two races of rational beings, angels and men. He made a great division in the angelic family when Lucifer sinned against him. He consigned Lucifer and his angels, reserving them in chains to torment of the great day of judgment, and he prepared the lake of fire for the devil and his angels. It tells us that in the Bible. The other angels, Michael, Gabriel, among them by name, were preserved and elected by God and kept from falling. That is why they are called the elect and holy angels in the Bible. He made that great division. There was no Savior provided for Lucifer and his angels. He went to the lower group of beings, you and me. We rebelled in paradise and ruined the world. Ruined childbirth. Ruined conception. Ruined the human family. Brought death and dying upon all of us. We'll die in our bodies, we'll die in our minds, or we'll die in both before we get to leave this place. We brought death and destruction upon us. Of that human family, the Lord Jesus Christ reached into that sick mess of rebellious, wicked, profane men. And he chose to adopt some as his own sons, joint heirs with his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shall spend eternity in heaven with God as our Father, Jesus Christ as our brother, he says in Hebrews 2, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And the angels look on in awe now, and God has done it to display 
his great mercy and his great wrath in saving men and not saving angels. He says so in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, and it tells us in 1 Peter 1 and verse 12 that the angels desire to look into these things. They cannot believe that a Redeemer was provided for you and me and not for them. God doesn't owe salvation to any rebel. God doesn't owe a possibility of salvation to any rebel. The tract, the so-called gospel tract, the Bible does tell us there is another gospel that has been duplicated the most and distributed through the earth the most by far, is the Four Spiritual Laws by Bill Bright of Campus Crusade. The first law on that tract, and I remember as a teenager, Thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes to see the folly of this statement. Rule number one, that they indiscriminately pass out to everybody on earth. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is the message of the gospel. That is the good news and glad tidings, and it's for God's elect. We preach it broadcast, but we're always looking for those that fear God. Here's what the Apostle Paul would say about his own ministry. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sakes. Acts chapter 17 tells us his constant manner. When he would go into a town, he went to one place. He went to the synagogue every time. If there wasn't a synagogue, he went to the the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. He went looking for men that feared God. He preached to them Jesus Christ because they're the only ones that are going to believe it, that have a fear of God that are born again. Until the Lord opens a heart and regenerates them, they will not believe. But my brethren, that statement, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, I give to you today. I give to you today because of Romans 8.29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. God has a purpose in our salvation, and that purpose is then described in the next two verses, verses 29 and 30 of Romans chapter 8. We are in a drama. And the drama is for principalities and powers in heavenly places to behold the wisdom and power and glory of God in saving some of a race beneath them. Ephesians 3.10 For the display of His great glory and His wrath. Romans chapter 9, if you read it last evening. From the same lump, he's made vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. He made them. He's the potter. We're the clay. Hopefully you were able to understand the language that was not deep at all. It's very simple. We are the clay. And from that clay, he makes some vessels to honor upon which he's going to show his mercy and his grace with eternal life through the ages to come as his sons and daughters. And the rest are vessels of dishonor which he's going to show his wrath and his power upon. And rightfully so. We've all sinned. The amazing thing about grace is that he saved anyone. The disappointing thing about grace is that he didn't save everyone. The amazing thing is that he saved anyone. Some people ask, why did he hate Esau? I ask, why did he love Jacob? I read about the two, those two boys at home. Listen, you just read what the Bible tells us about them too. I think most of us would pick Esau as the better son. He made that difference. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy because none of us deserve it. Mercy is obviously something we don't deserve, earn, or 
have a right to, he gives it. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The reason you exist has never been about you. It's always been about him. It's the glory of God. It's the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And the great drama, why did God create? It wasn't because he needed you. Job makes, the book of Job makes pretty plain, especially the words of Elihu and God, that he doesn't need us. He is independently, I am that I am. Infinitely perfect in every way. Infinitely happy with himself. Why did he ever create us? And why did he ever create angels? Does he need little servants to keep his palace clean in heaven? Why did he create them? Because this infinite being wanted to display the kind of character he has, infinitely perfect in every way, to rational creatures. And he made two categories. He bypassed the higher one to reach into the mess of the lower one to save you and me. And we are on planet Earth. And your eyes are very limited. I don't care if they're 2020, Frank, or 2015. Your eyes are very limited. Frank just had eye surgery. Brother David, I'm teasing him. It doesn't matter how good your eyes are, you can't see the servants that are in this room right now. They are our servants, the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and assigned to us. They are the angels of heaven. They are the host of God. They are mighty and powerful, and he bypassed them. They know that their colleagues that sinned once in heaven by pride have been cast into hell and are bound there and bound in the confines of this earth. The devil can no more go before God our Father and accuse us like he did Job. That's been impossible for 2,000 years since a holy war was fought in heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ and Michael and and his angels fought. And the devil and his angels fought and there was found no more place for them in heaven. Why? Because the blood of Christ was covering all our sins. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Romans 8.33 We're in a fantastic drama. And the conclusion is the best of all. And all we need to do is by faith and hope and faithfulness and continuing make it to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why we have a church to band together, to come together, to be reminded from God's word of what's been done for us and how we ought to live and to encourage each other to live that way until the Lord comes. So that we can meet him with joy in our hearts and confidence in our spirits, knowing that we're living for him at the hour of his appearing. We want to love his appearing and look for it. This is the drama. It's for the glory of God. It is not because he felt sorry for men. If he felt sorry for men, then why didn't he feel sorry for angels? He designed these two classes of beings in order to display what you read about in Romans chapter 9. His glory and mercy upon one class and his wrath and power upon another. Pharaoh was one of those. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Purpose. 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 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. You know, everyone likes to quote Romans 8.28, well, all things work together for good. They're in their hospital bed. All things work together for good. They drove through a red light and creamed an old lady. All things work together for good. I didn't mean that disrespectfully about the old lady. All things work together for good. The power of that verse is attaching the second half to the first half. All things work together for good to them that love God. All things aren't working together for good right now for the lives of those in Japan. It's working together for the glory of God. But that Romans 8.28 is about our sufferings and our infirmities that are in the context. They're working together for our good. If we love God, and if we love God, that's the evidence that we're the called according to His purpose because we love Him because He first loved us. 
purpose. Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee and make my name great throughout all the earth. Should be about Romans 9, 16 or 17. If I look, I can tell. I'm going to look. It's verse 17. It comes from Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16, where God said the same thing through Moses. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Purpose. For the children. Did you read this in Romans 9 last night? For the children being not yet born. Don't get mad at me. If twins are in a womb, a division can be made. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Someone will say, well, that's just a few national privileges. It doesn't say that. And that isn't the context of Romans 9. Romans 9, beginning in about verse 6 through 8, is describing sonship, which is the whole subject theme of Romans chapter 8. Sonship. It's salvation. The vessels of honor and the vessels of dishonor is salvation in Romans 9, 22 through 24. And if you go back and look at the book of Malachi, chapter 1, which describes the difference between Jacob and his descendants, and Esau and his descendants, God says, Jake, for Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. I will rebuild Jacob. Esau will try to rebuild, and I will tear down, and they will be known as the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. He should have indignation against all of us forever. It's mercy. It's pure grace. Grace is much more than unmerited favor. Grace is demerited favor because we have merited His judgment. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. That for, the coordinating conjunction that opens verse 29, is telling us the explanation for his purpose that ends verse 28. He's going to explain and describe the purpose of God in the last part of verse 28 more thoroughly in verses 29 and 30. That's the purpose of that coordinating conjunction for. He's explained our sonship, he's explained our future glory, and our future physical adoption. We're still waiting for one phase of adoption. Remember, we have five phases of salvation. God did some things for our salvation eternity. Christ did some things for our salvation the cross. The Holy Spirit does some things in our hearts and souls to change us and give us the new birth. We we make some changes in our lives when we hear the gospel and we convert. And there's still some changes to be done. Don't you want them? Can you feel the corruption that's part of you? Oh, it's coming. It's in verse 23. It says, even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption. We're waiting for an adoption. To wit, I'm thankful when the Holy Spirit tells us exactly what he means. To wit, the redemption of our body. We still have a phase of salvation that we don't even have yet. It's still to come. And with all of that in mind, the apostle then says, For, and he explains the purpose of God in making us sons, saving us from our infirmities, the great change that's going to take place in the natural creation for a new heaven and a new earth redemption of our bodies, and that all things work together for good, and the purpose that called us, in verse 20, he says, for whom? I've already mentioned purpose. I want one more verse. Would you please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, 
Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8 and 9 are very similar. They're written by the same man, authored by the same Holy Spirit, and we see some of the same choice of words. And the same choice of words is very important to us. Why is it very important to us? Because the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.13 that the way God the Holy Spirit reveals to us the deep things of God, this is what it says, 6 through 13, the way the Holy Spirit reveals the deep things of God is by the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So as we're going through the Word of God, we see this spiritual word and this spiritual word. We want to compare those passages. When we see this spiritual concept and this spiritual concept that's the same, we want to, it could be called quickening. Think about your new birth. Can it be called being born again? Can it be called regeneration? Can it be called quickening? Are all three, anyways, spiritual concepts. So we compare them. Look at this one. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We believe in free will. We do. We're not free will Baptists. We're not going to put it in our sign, but we do believe in free will. And you could call us free will Baptists with a small f. But the free will in our Baptist theology is God's will. Amen. His will is free. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Amen. We do not believe that man has a free will because man constantly and only chooses sin, rebellion, and wickedness in the face of whatever revelation God gives him. Je- Jesus, through Moses, explained to poor the poor rich man that it wouldn't matter if Lazarus rose from the dead and went back and visited the five houses of the rich man's five brothers, he was not going to be, they were not going to believe. Now that's about the best evangelistic method I've ever read about. Now Benny Hinn talks about rising from the dead, but most Baptist preachers don't talk about rising from the dead in order to get a youth group's attention to get them saved. But now see, the rich man thought that that method should work. He said, if if Lazarus could go back and visit them, and tell them not to come here. Moses said, Do they have church on Saturday? Where Moses and the prophets are read? Yes, but, uh, 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 Father, it wasn't Moses, it was Abraham. Father Abraham, you don't understand. They show up at church sometimes, but they really don't pay attention. If Lazarus was to go back from the dead, they would repent. Jesus said, If they don't have any, through Abraham, Abraham said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't care about God's word, they're not going to repent if one went back from the dead. Now, that's a pretty hopeless condition. But we're full of hope because Jesus Christ spoke the word and the Holy Spirit regenerated us and gave us a new heart that loves this book and loves the object of this book, which is the glory of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. Paul wanted to go find men that were at least reading the word of God in synagogues and preach them Christ. Some believed, some didn't. We're going to deal with some of those Jews that didn't in the next three chapters, Romans 9, 10, 11. But we're at Romans 8, 29. Do you know what I love about the second word? It's personal pronoun. For whom? You know, it's not, this is Romans 8, 29. Did you see that in Ephesians 1.11, he that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will has a purpose. 
And that purpose was in predestination. And that predestination was to make us sons. That's the whole divine plan is to make us sons. For whom? Election is so personal. Who named you? Think carefully. Who named you? Be careful. Do you think your mommy and daddy named you? Is that the first time your name appeared in any rational mind? Is that the first time your name appeared in print when it was printed in the newspaper? The Bible tells us in Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8 that your names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. As Ephesians 1 would say, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world in the counsel of God, which stands to a thousand generations and can never be overthrown, God covenanted with the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ by covenant promise that he would come and lay down his life for us and a specific number of souls were given to him that he knew by name. The Bible says about them that our father's knowledge of us is so intimate that he knows the very number of hairs on your head. You know, to sing the song, there's a new name written down in glory, that was written by a man that hadn't read the Bible or had read the Bible and didn't understand the Bible. There's not new names written down in glory. The names have been written down from the foundation of the world. Jesus said about the sheep that he had, I know my sheep and am known of mine. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Who does he give eternal life to? The sheep. That God the Father gave to him. I love the word whom right here because it's so personal. God knows the very number of hairs on your head. Our Father. Look at Isaiah 49. Let me show you how much he loves his church. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How much? How personal? How affectionate is it? For whom? For whom? Not for what he did for no. It's not what he saw you would do. Do you know that if God elected based on what he saw you and I would do, no one would be saved. Isaiah 49, verse 15. Let's start at 13. This is the way we ought to praise. These are the things we ought to remember. Do you feel lonely sometimes? Do you feel forsaken? Do you feel unloved? Let me help. Verse 13, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted His people and will have mercy upon His afflicted. But Zion said, this is the church, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Here's God's response. Can a woman forget her sucking child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? The answer to that rhetorical question is no. The ordinary woman, in ordinary circumstances, the general rule is women do not forget their nursing babies. There are several apparatuses that help them remember. That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, the Lord deals with the exceptions. Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. I am better than any mother's love. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. 
Is that nice? Did you ever have a little girl in the fourth grade write your name on the palm of her hand, you know, in ink? Get all sweaty because she was sweating because she was a little nervous. Whatever. Little girls can't do anything for you. Great gods can. And great God inscribed in the palm of his hand. I will never forget that you're right there. I can't lose the note. You're right there. A mother may forget her sucking child, but I'll never forget thee. Romans 8.29 For whom he did foreknow. It is so sad that some people think this foreknowledge here is God seeing what you would do. If it was God seeing what you would do, whose purpose would it be? It would be your purpose to get to heaven. He would see your purpose and he would respond to your purpose. But this is God's purpose. The purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. There's a different kind of a no in the Bible. You know, we've got two no's, at least in the Bible, K-N-O-W. We have a no that we say God is omniscient, meaning shunts or science or knowledge. He's got omni, all of it. All knowledge. Omniscience. And God is omniscient. So in that sense, if we stick that into this verse, for whom he did foreknow, for every person that he knew about, he predestinated them, all mankind would be predestinated. But it's not that knowledge. There's a different no in the Bible. And that no is affectionate approval of a person. Affectionate approval of a church. Not a local church. I'm talking about the church of the firstborn, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is far beyond bare omniscience. God knows about all men. But you know what he's going to say to the wicked in the great day of judgment? I never knew you. What does that mean? Did he not know about them? Did he not know they existed? Did he not know their parents and their place of birth? Did he not know the time of their death and their nationality? Their height and their weight? What did he mean when he say, I never knew you? Let's keep thinking about that word no. If we try to make it God's foreknowledge of what we're going to do, and so the difference between us and the wicked in hell is something we did, which is what Arminians believe, that the great deciding difference is not God's choice of anyone, it's our choice of God, then let's look at Psalm 14 and verse 3 and see what God discovered when he looked down upon men. Psalm 14. The Bible does tell us that God looked down upon the children of men And the Bible tells us he looked down with the intent of finding out what our hearts were like. Could he find any that loved him? Could he find any that sought after him? Could he find any that understood that he was their creator and they owed him? Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, and by nature we are all fools, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none That doeth good. That's what he found when he looked. Verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men. We do not deny that God looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. We do not deny that God looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand that he was their creator and these creatures were seeking him. But what did he find? They are all gone aside. 
They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? That's also in Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3. And that is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 before we get to this 8th chapter. That is the condition of man. Ephesians chapter 2, verses the first three verses would tell us, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. We followed this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There was no difference. This is what God saw. So God had to make a choice. None of us were going to choose him. We were all going to choose ourselves. We were all going to choose our sinful lust, the world, and the prince of the power of the air. Just like our first parents did. And even if we hadn't, we still had their sin upon us. Eating off the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is what he saw when he looked down. So it can't be God's foreknowledge of us seeking him because he said he found none. It's a different no. As you know that it's a different no. When you think about, I never knew you, but I foreknew you. What a difference. I never knew you, not in eternity or presently. For whom he did foreknow. The word know. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us, And Adam knew his wife Eve. Does that mean they were introduced in Genesis 4.1? Or does it mean something a little more intimate than that? A little more personal? A little more affectionate? Yes. And Adam knew his wife Eve. Psalm 1.6 says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Does that just mean that he's aware of the way of the righteous? That he's cognizant of the facts of the way of the righteous? Or does he affectionately approve, go with him, and have a plan and a blessing on the righteous? It says all of those things. How about Amos chapter 3 and verse 2? God said to Israel, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Well, didn't he know about the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the American Indians? You only have I known of all the families of the earth. What does he mean? Affectionate knowledge, intimate knowledge, personal knowledge, benevolent knowledge. It's like Adam with his wife. It's like knowing the way of the righteous. And it means the same thing when Jesus Christ is going to say to the wicked, I never knew you. I never had any affectionate relationship with you. You and I have nothing to do with each other. And of us, he says, for whom he did foreknow. He has known us and loved us with an everlasting love because that was set upon us by the electing choice of Almighty God who will have mercy and compassion on whom he will have mercy and compassion. There are four wills in Romans 9.15, and they're all the will of God. I will have compassion on whom I will. There's two of them. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. There's two more. So the next verse tells us, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God. That showeth mercy. And that choice is to choose to love us according to his purpose. His purpose was to display his great grace 
and mercy and glory in saving sinful men for his spectator audience of angels. Ephesians 3.10, third time I've mentioned it. And it's according to his will. And it's by his foreknowledge of us, by choosing to love us. Ephesians 1.4 says it this way. Second time I quote this verse. According as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In love. Just like Israel of old, God chose of all the families of the earth, he just went, reached down and picked out Abraham. He had picked out Noah before that, but he picked out Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make a great nation of you, Abraham, and I'm going to make them my nation. I'm going to walk with them. They're going to be my people. I'm going to be their God. I'm going to be a father to them. Their worship's going to be confined to that nation. I'm going to give them my word, and my word is not going to be given to any other nation. Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20 says very plainly, his, his commandments and his word was not given to any other nation. Israel had a very unique position as the children of God. And their purpose in life was to gird on their swords and to go annihilate all the wicked nations that stood in their way in the land of Canaan. So they wiped out, annihilated, no longer exist, seven nations of the land of Canaan. They were God's chosen people. We all deserve to be annihilated. Some would say it's not fair that some would be annihilated. I say it's not fair that some were saved. Grace isn't fair. Grace is grace. If God were just fair, we would all be judged. But he's better than fair. He's merciful and he's gracious and long-suffering and wise because he devised a plan for the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us. The Bible tells us that we have been loved with an everlasting love. And that is the first few words of Romans 8.29. For whom he did foreknow. It starts with his purpose in the last verse, the last word of verse 28. Them who are the called according to his purpose. For, and then it describes that purpose. That purpose began with love set upon them. Then their end or their destination determined beforehand, predestination. Then that predestination resulting in them being called or appointed and regenerated to be the sons of God, justified by the cross of Christ to have all their sins blotted out and the righteousness of Jesus clothed upon them, and finally glorified. And the apostle, because we're speaking of the purpose of God, uses the past tense. And then he justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. Romans 8.30. Glorified in the past tense. Are you glorified yet? I'm not. You don't look glorified to me. We're going to be very different when we're glorified. He used the past tense because it's all in the purpose of God. And what God has purposed, who can disannul it? Who can hinder it? Who can even question it? Romans 4 would tell us, we've already learned this lesson about verb tenses because it's twice in the book of Romans. In Romans 4, the apostle Paul, reasoning from something that was said to Abraham before he had any children, when God said, I have made thee a father of many nations, he didn't even have a son. But he said, I have made thee. Paul reasoned and by inspiration said, God is able to call those things which be not as though they were. (laughs) He's not limited to verb tenses like we are. You know, when we say we're going to do something, sometimes we don't do what we said we're going to do. But when God says he's going to do something, it's as good as done. Because when he commands, it stands fast. 
Isaiah 33. And He has commanded His love upon us, and He's chosen us in Christ. And it's wrapped up in these words right here, the personal pronoun whom and His foreknowledge. It's not knowledge of what we would do, because if election or predestination were based on what we would do, no man would be saved. That foreknowledge is a different word. It's Adam knowing his wife Eve. It's the Lord knowing the way of the righteous. It's the Lord knowing Israel of all the families of the earth, knowing them only. And it's the knowledge in the sense that he will say to the wicked, I never knew you. That doesn't mean he didn't know of them. He did not know them affectionately, approvingly, benevolently as their Savior. Are you part of the family of God? The whole drama of creation and salvation is God making himself a family. The angels are not part of his family. The angels are the domestics. Right. Hebrews 1.14 tells us, and I mean this respectfully to every angel listening, Hebrews 1.14 says that are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of eternal life? Wow! We're the family of God. How do you know if you're in the family of God? Every one of us should be asking, how do I know that God has loved me? With an everlasting love. How do I know I'm in his purpose? How do I know I'm predestinated to eternal life? How do I know that I'm going to be glorified? The Bible knows you would ask that question. So it gives us very good answers. It says in Second Peter chapter 1, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And there are eight things mentioned there. Adding to your faith. That's where we start. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the evidence of such a transformation inside you that in the great day of judgment, you will be saved. You will be owned as one of Christ. But it, it, we don't want to stop there. Because faith without works is dead. Being alone. So it says, add to your faith virtue. And a virtue, knowledge. And a knowledge, godliness, patience, temperance, brotherly kindness, and charity. Eight things. And Peter says, if you do these things, ye shall never fall. The apostle wrote the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and said, Knowing, brethren, your work of faith, not a decision in the evangelistic crusade. Knowing your work of faith, labor of love, your love of service to the saints, is shown by deeds, not by word, and patience of hope. You are cheerful in negative circumstances because you have so much hope of heaven. Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. And then he says this, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. The Lord knows we would ask that question. Well, how do I know that I'm in the purpose of God? How do I know if I'm in the family of God? And how do I know I'm God's elect? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and add to that faith works. And the works described in the New Testament especially. Second Peter chapter 1. Make your calling and election sure. Brethren, there's no assurance because you're sitting in this church and there's a measure of, of a warm and fuzzy feeling among most of us. There's no assurance because you've been baptized, you're a church member, or you attend. It's only by repentance of a selfish lifestyle, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and good works following that show that we are in Christ Jesus, where behold, all things are become new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let us make our calling and election sure this very moment. Repent and confess your foolishness. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and bring forth those fruits that show a great transformation done as part of the golden chain of salvation. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And whom he predestinated, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also glorified. And brethren, the end, the object, is for us to be just like our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, except he will be the firstborn among many brethren. He'll always have the preeminence. He's our older brother. He's the important brother. He's the brother we want to give the most praise and adoration to. But brethren, we're going to be made like him. And the angels are servants. This is the drama of the gospel. This is the glad tidings and good news of the scriptures. Let's act like the children of God. Day by day. In thought and word and deed. May Jesus Christ be praised. Holy Father. Blessed God our creator. Through Jesus Christ our savior. What shall we then say to these things? If thou be for us. Who can be against us? We thank Thee, Lord of heaven and earth, for saving us with an everlasting salvation according to Your own perfect will. We are the clay. Thou art the potter. Heavenly Father, thank You for molding us and choosing to fashion us, not like a vessel like Pharaoh or Esau, but out of the Gentiles to take a people for Your own name. We thank You for making us vessels of mercy upon which you can shower and have showered and shall forever shower your goodness and your glory. We bless and praise your holy name. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for revealing these things to us. We thank you for putting a love of them in our hearts. And we pray that you will increase our hatred of sin, our love of righteousness, our love of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be preeminent in all our thoughts, our words and our deeds. Forgive us our sins. Bless the food that we now partake of. Bless our fellowship together that we would stir each other up and be in the bodybuilding business of this body whose head is the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be conformed to the image of thy only begotten Son who is the image of the invisible God. Let us look and act like your children by Holy Spirit power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.